Welcome to the Doctor Who 50 and 50 podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. In episode 43, we're discussing story 136, The Caves of Androzani. This was the final Peter Davison story, and the second story with Nicola Bryant as companion Perry Brown. The basic plot is that the Doctor and Perry arrive on Androzani Minor, which is a mining planet that supports Androzani Major. The main product being mined is Spectrox, a chemical which extends life. A corrupt politician and businessman named Morgus is manipulating the market, using a terrorist named Jack to gain all the Spectrox he can for himself. He's obsessed with immortality, and he's manipulating the market from multiple ends. He's not only giving orders to the general who's trying to track down Jack, but he's also working with gun runners who are buying the Spectrox from Jack. So he's controlling both ends of the market in that respect. He's also setting things up to make sure that a lot of the people who are working in the mines are going to be unable to pay their own bills and get laid off. The punishment for that is to be sent to labor camps, which Morgus actually owns. So in effect, he is turning employees into slaves. Now, Jack himself is something like the Phantom of the Opera. So he's been scarred. He's wearing the mask. He's the brilliant man working in the shadows. And in this case, he's looking for revenge on Morgus, who was part of the reason that Jack is scarred. And he becomes obsessed with Perry. He's also very good about making duplicate androids. So part of the reason he's been able to evade capture by the military is because the second in command of the military unit has been replaced with one of Jack's androids, and he installed a tap on the communication. So Jack is fully appraised of all communications going in and out, and he knows exactly what the plans are going to be. Now, this is the first time we've really discussed Perry. Apparently, from what I've been able to find online, Nicola Bryant was brought on board by a new producer in the previous story, Planet of Fire, uh, specifically to increase the sex appeal of the series. And as far as that's concerned, in my opinion, mission accomplished. So she is brought in, as I said, as someone that Jack is obsessed with in this episode, and that obsession ends up saving the Doctors and Perry's life from a firing squad early on in the story. When the Doctor and Perry are exploring early on, Perry ends up slipping and falling into some sort of plant or nest, and they both get a rash from it. This turns out to be Spectrox toxicity. So they're exposed to this untreated chemical. It doesn't extend their lives. It's fatal. The only known cure involves the offshoot of some mature bat life, and these bats are found very deep in the mines. So the first of the upsides to the episode is that it does show a very good job of the risks of being the Doctor or traveling with the Doctor. It's not just the aliens that people deliberately trying to kill you you have to watch out for. These are alien environments, and there are going to be indigenous things that are at risk, such as the plants that led to the Spectrox toxicity. We also have a pretty good villain in Jack. As I said, he is very similar to the Phantom of the Opera, but his visual design is well done, and he's well played, and that's fairly well done. We also finally get an explanation for why Peter Davison has been running around with celery on his lapel for three years. Uh, apparently, when they first suggested incorporating that into the outfit, Peter Davison agreed to go along with wearing the celery on the condition that it gets some sort of explanation, and it's not just something that they wanted to do to make him stand out. That explanation finally comes in this episode, which rumor has it was because Peter Davison knew he was leaving and went to the producer saying, uh, we still haven't explained the celery yet. So Perry, being a new companion, asks him why he's wearing it, and he tells her that he's allergic to some of the gases in the praxis end of the spectrum, and if they're present, they will turn the celery purple. So it's kind of an early warning system for him. Later on, we also find out that it's considered a powerful restorative, although the human olfactory sense isn't strong enough for that to really work. We also get some suitable heroics from the Doctor. So both he and Perry are expecting to die from this toxicity, and 
he has to go into the depths of the mines through the terrace past the gun runners to get to these creatures to get the compound he needs for the antidote and part of it is to redevelop the antidote that was invented by somebody else uh, we also get some social commentary here in terms of comments on runaway capitalism which is what we're seeing in Morgus, who does get his just desserts but that's the kind of thing that science fiction does when it's at its best it's not just telling a fun story but often it can make us look at the track that our society is on and where that may lead us the downsides to this one are relatively few it was a pretty strong story and i could see why our readers who are familiar with the doctor rated it so highly one is sort of irking me a little bit i do like the fact that one of these doctors died basically because he ran into something in the area uh, now in this case it's because a new companion wasn't paying attention and slipped and fell into the nest and he had to go save her and ended up saving her life but ultimately leading to his own regeneration but at this time i would say that peter davison is my favorite of the classic doctors i am recording these out of order as I'm watching them at the time of this recording I haven't seen anything with Sylvester McCoy yet so I do reserve the right to change my mind in which case you probably would have heard that already but he is my favorite classic doctor and I just find it a little annoying that he's the one that gets off by what's basically super poison ivy rather than something a lot bigger and more dramatic I also found it maybe a little bit distasteful at the end when he regenerates Colin Baker's first line when Perry's asking what's going on, is to say, change and not a moment too soon. So the Colin Baker docker steps in, and the first thing he does is criticize a very popular predecessor, which kind of rubs me the wrong way and makes me wonder if that's why the Colin Baker era had a hard time establishing ratings, or at least part of the reason. So overall, it was a pretty strong story that's well worth checking out, and the choice of story and villains and threats makes the limited budget that's typically the big limiting factor in the classic series a lot less obvious and a lot less important. They basically have sets, and this time the rock quarries they tend to film in make perfect sense for the sets. This is a mining planet, and they've got a pretty good design on the villain in the Phantom of the Opera style. You don't need a lot of monsters, you don't need any of the rest. These are human characters in human situations. So this one is definitely worth tracking down if you're trying to get familiar with the classic series. That wraps up what we have to say about Caves of Androzani. Join us again tomorrow when we discuss The Mark of the Rani. Thank you for listening.